You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you're a 415 you're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415 hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back into the 415ers podcast on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. Evan Giddings, Mark Grandy with you as always three times a week. We're here on Friday, Mark, because we are getting set for the Week 13 matchup, the San Francisco 49ers. It will be with the GOAT. It will be with uh, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're going to get to all that. But first and foremost, sir, how are you doing on this wonderful chilly, I might add, Friday morning? It is. It's a cold one across the Bay Area. I'm doing well, Evan. Uh, good to be on with you once again. This is a game that uh, we've had circled for a long time. Um, I think maybe we were expecting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, at least at the beginning of the year, to, to be better than their 6-6 six and six record. And uh, we certainly weren't expecting it to be Brock Purdy's first career start. So this matchup has already taken some turns. Uh, but regardless, still a uh, anticipated matchup. I'm looking forward to this one on Sunday. Yeah, no doubt. Tom Brady is making his 378th career start uh, between the regular season and the playoffs. A guy that might play uh, beyond the time that Mark and I are long gone. We don't know. But we're here to start and talk about the guy that you just mentioned, Mark Brock Purdy. That is now uh, formerly QB3, now QB1 of the San Francisco 49ers. Mr. Irrelevant is making his first career start against Tom Brady. Uh, and and I'm, it sounds like to me, Mark, just kind of listening to some of the teammates from him this week, along with even him himself, he spoke, of course, to the media, as all sorting quarterbacks do. Uh, he is hopeful to remove that Mr. Re- Irrelevant, I should say, title from his his ledger, because at this point, I mean, we, we said it after the game, but he, he is the most relevant uh, signal caller right now on the 49ers. And he is trying to instead of just. I guess, hold serve. Uh, it sounds like he's actually pretty excited, and the team is too, of how he can not only just manage a game, but against the Dolphins team, go out and win a game, and now against Tom Brady, hope to win the football game. Yeah, it's something that we talked about last episode, Evan, you know, how this team, whether, you know, deserved or not, whatever, it doesn't matter. They are fully embracing Brock Purdy, and, you know, they should. Uh, you should embrace whoever is your starting quarterback. You're not going to go into any week, any game, any set of games admitting defeat ahead of time. Um, so, you know, his teammates somewhat are obligated to say some of the things that they've said. But also the the things that Purdy has done, Evan, up to this point, not necessarily things that he's told us, but things that his teammates have openly and publicly said it's not normal for a rookie quarterback, let alone for a Mr. Irrelevant quarterback. 
Like these sorts of things, maybe we're reading into it a little too much, but but these sorts of things tend to not really be the case for young quarterbacks. And I, I want to, you know, play a, a, a piece of sound from Brandon Ayuk. He was on 95.7 The Game earlier this week on Wednesday, and he kind of spoke to that talking about how Brock Purdy is, is already taking control of an offensive huddle that's full of veterans. Here, here is Brendan Ayuk talking about Brock Purdy. Even today, today was pretty funny. We had, um, we're kind of joking around, having having a little fun during the walkthrough, and he's like, he's like, all right, like y'all, y'all tighten up, let's go. Like we, we're trying to get the situation. Everybody looked around, like, okay, okay. So we kind of we, we we like that about him. We respected about him. Um, we love that he's able to, um, no matter what his situation is, he, he demands um, everybody's attention and demands um, the best when we're out there. So we definitely respect that. Even today, today was pretty funny. We had. Um, we're kind of sorry about that. I was going on a loop there for a second, but I mean, how, how many young quarterbacks, rookie quarterbacks who were drafted in the seventh round, the final pick of the draft are comfortable enough in their rookie year to go into an offensive huddle that features Debo Samuel and George Kittle and Christian McCaffrey and Brandon Ayuk and Trent Williams. And I'm not saying all of these guys were, you know, the involved in the, what, like the joking around, having some fun that Ayuk was mentioning, but how many rookie quarterbacks are going up to a group of guys that feature all of those names and are telling them, hey, guys, like, come on, focus in. Let's get to work. We need to get this down before the game against the Buccaneers. That is an extremely rare trait. And it seems relatively obvious at this point from what we've been told that Purdy has it. And that's a, a, a gigantic plus on his side of the ledger. That is huge. And something that. Like I, I and maybe I'm just a bit skeptical about the whole thing. Uh, I, I do love the fact that Brock Purdy is, by by all accounts, sort of you know grabbing this this whole uh, this uh, role he has now by the reins, and he is trying to get his guys all on the same page. Um, I, I I do want to see it in the huddle. I I know that guys can be big and tough in practice. Uh, there's a story. There's well, not a story. I, there's a situation earlier this year. Uh, I went down to training camp for the first week and I saw this, this kind of, you know, little interesting wide receiver competition between the aforementioned Brandon Ayuk along with uh, rookie Danny Gray, mm. who unfortunately we have not seen a lot of this year due to injury, but it was a situation where they were, they were doing like kind of five yard sprints, just your, your, your simple get off, you know, off the line, wide receiver explosion type of drill. And Danny Gray was beating Ayuk over and over and over and over and Danny Gray was was letting Ayuk hear about it a little bit. And Ayuk was, okay, you know, chirp, 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 do what you got to do. I'm going to go run my routes and be the wide receiver that is is currently the one that is playing and producing for the 49ers. Uh, I, I, it's common to me to see those young guys try and, you know, maybe not in the way we see a quarterback do, but establish their presence on the football field. And I know it, it may seem counterintuitive because a young guy is talking to older guys, but I, although I do love to see it from Brock Purdy, I want to see that in the huddle on Sunday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers team that I believe will blitz him for quite a long time. So I, I love to hear that, that sort of confidence that seems to be exuding from uh, the guy making his first start in the NFL but I'm going to be a little bit hesitant uh, when I hand out praise, I should say, for a practice sort of pump up speech. You're right. There's it's there's one thing to do it in a game and in practice and another another thing to do it in the game. And then there's, you know, the the 
the, the performance side of things. Everyone likes to, you know, talk about how good he played against, uh, you know, the team last week against the Dolphins, which certainly is the case. I mean, he was effective. He he, he helped the Niners move the ball. He, he made some really impressive throws. The one that stands out to me was late in the first half on the drive that led to that Christian McCaffrey touchdown in the final seconds of the first half that gave them the lead. There was a third and 10 around midfield, I think. And the Dolphins were showing pressure, showing a blitz, showing, I think, an eight-man blitz, believe it or not, or, or close to that. And Brock Purdy, with, with the play clock running down, didn't have time to talk to Kyle Shanahan. Instead, he changed the play himself, got some extra protection, and and told Kittle to cut off his route shorter. Ultimately, the Dolphins didn't blitz as many as they were showing. They were trying to confuse Purdy. But still, there there was a blitzer that came unblocked right in Purdy's face. And because of his pre-snap awareness uh, and his, you know, him, him telling Kittle to cut off his route short over the middle, he threw it to him under pressure, completed it for the first down, moved the chains. Eventually, they score a touchdown. They take a lead and they don't look back. So that was a phenomenal moment. But again, to your point, it's one thing to do it in practice. It's one thing to do it in a game where the defense wasn't prepping for you all week and now it's another time to do it while a defense in a good defense at that in, in Tampa Bay is preparing for you and only you so this is undoubtedly going to be a bigger challenge for Brock Purdy in terms of what opponents are going to be do, doing to him however I do think there's also a level of comfort and understanding for Pur Purdy this week knowing as the defense knows and is preparing for him, but also him knowing, okay, I'm the guy. I, 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 I what do I need to do to feel comfortable? Because I mean, he wasn't getting any first team reps last week or or any of the season before that. And you know, he he was credited by Shanahan and all of his teammates for preparing like he was the starter. That seems like somewhat of a cliche. Who knows exactly what that means? But now that he knows he is the guy, I, I think there's a bit of advantage. Uh, for him in that as well. But of course, the same goes for the defense. So this is going to be the bigger challenge for Brock Purdy in, in every game moving forward, of course. But I do think that when it got off to a good start and what we're hearing from him throughout the locker room uh, isn't a negative at the least. I, I think it, it does speak to, I don't know, the, the, the natural, I don't know if leader is the right word at this point, but how naturally prepared he seems to be for a moment like this. And, and things can change very quickly, but I, I do think that he is starting from a po from a positive point. Yeah, I'm with you. Two things off of that. I think to me, it points to more the culture of the 49ers locker room, being able to immediately embrace a guy like Brock Purdy and allow him to feel comfortable enough to speak up, to sort of energize a huddle on the practice field and hopefully, of course, on the game field on Sunday. So to me, it it is as much about how inviting and, and supporting that locker room is around Brock Purdy as well as giving credit to the man himself. Uh, that, that's one thing that I take away from hearing that. Number two, I do agree with you about Brock Purdy's anticipatory throws uh, that he himself, like you mentioned, was kind of responsible for even setting up at times during the game against the Miami Dolphins. To me, what I, I'm really the most excited about for him, at least in watching him, is his ability to extend plays and his ability to use his legs 
in a way that I, I honestly, I mean, I didn't watch obviously a ton of Iowa state mainly saw him in bowl games and maybe, you know, big, big 12 primetime matchups. Um, I remember him being able to run, but not be able to escape evade the way that he did. I think a lot and is going to have to continue to do uh, against the dolphins. This is a 49ers offensive line that is pretty good. Obviously we, we know Trent Williams is on your blind side. That's, that's a huge help. Uh, but the rest of the line, I, I, I mean, there, there's a reason that Jimmy Garoppolo was running for his life early, early in the game and unfortunately got hurt. It's because there's going to be a lot of pressure in the face of whoever is going to be quarterback for the 49ers. And Brock Purdy has already shown me that he can extend a play far more than Jimmy Garoppolo can and might even have a little more pocket presence than I presumed a rookie quarterback to have. He looks like he knows what he's doing in the pocket when it comes to his footwork. And he has kind of look, honestly, just like it, it looks to be somewhat of an innate sense of where he needs to step up and step around in the pocket already. That could change if he's got seven guys coming at him. But from what I saw against Miami, even when they brought the blitz, like you mentioned, he was able to maneuver, get out of the pocket uh, outside of, of course, that maybe that last drive in which the Niners had a chance to kick a field goal and then ran themselves out of, of out of field goal range um, with a penalty along with Purdy. So, you know, th there's going to be some learning curves. There's going to be some ups. There's going to be some downs. But to me, what is, I guess, the most exciting part about his game to me so far that I was not really that aware of was how quickly he can use his feet to get out of the pocket. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that that bodes well for him and the 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 protection from the offensive line wasn't that great. There were many a time, many times where he was forced to roll out. And to, to your point, he did a really good job of evading pressure and extending plays and then finding receivers, even if it's only a, a three, four yard gain. That's that's much better than taking a sack. And I think there were multiple occasions against the Dolphins where if it was Jimmy Garoppolo in that same position against that same rush. Best case is he throws the ball away and it's an, it's an incompletion. But I would say there's that there was at least one or two moments where he probably goes down for a sack in which Brock Purdy escaped and, and got some positive yards out of it. Now, there are other areas, of course, where, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo would have done more than Brock Purdy. But that area specifically is mobility. I'm not saying he's a running quarterback. He's just you know, agile enough to get out of the pocket and force some would-be tacklers to miss. But that is an area that the, that the Niners didn't have with Jimmy Garoppolo that they do with Brock Purdy. Yeah, but and the flip side of that is going to be, well, if you just because you can extend a play doesn't mean you should extend yeah. a play. And that's something that often a lot of young quarterbacks run into. Uh, the, the first name that comes to mind is Daniel Jones. Like, just because you can do something <laughs> does not mean you should do something, especially his first two, three years in the NFL. So we're going to see if Brock Purdy can not only, and, and this is where I do think some of Jimmy Garoppolo's decision-making goes a bit undervalued. Knowing when to give up on a play is just as important as knowing when you can extend a play. And we saw Brock Purdy athletically be able to do that. I'm sure that's something Tampa Bay is accounting for, or at least has an idea of entering. So I think that, you know, Br Brock Purdy, I, I want to see the decision making paired with obviously the the athleticism. Um, that's what I'm going to be looking for. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I want to remind everyone to download, rate, and subscribe to the 415ers podcast coming at you three times a week on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network, Monday, Wednesday, Friday with 95.7 The Game. Uh, Follow us on social media. Search 415ers. I'm on social at Gettings 10 Mark is on social at Mark Grandy. Mark with a C, Grandy with an I. this this Mr. Irrelevant title, however, Mark, <laughs> is is something that is look, it's gonna follow Brock Purdy for the rest of his career, no matter no matter how short or long it is. Um, but but you had some thoughts in particular about it, and, and so did Brock, it sounds like. Yeah, so Brock Purdy met with the media on Thursday, and, and one of the questions he was asked was, What do you think about the Mr. Irrelevant title? I think we kind of all think about it as oh, you know, kind of a, a unique, funny thing. You were the last guy picked, like at least you didn't go undrafted. You were drafted. It's great. Like, let's have some fun with it. And, uh, you know, Purdy obviously understands that side to it as well. But he also kind of kind of has a bit of an edge to him because of that. Let's take a listen. You know, people are, you know, they make a joke out of it and whatnot. And, you know, it's, it's all fun and games, you know, in terms of taking the trip and beating great people and all that kind of thing. But for myself, like, yeah, I've always believed that I don't care, like, what slot, what round, what pick, you know, I, that I get picked or if I was undrafted. My whole thing was, man, I just want to go out and, and prove to myself that, you know, I can play at this level. And so that's always been my mentality, um, even though I was the last pick. That's just where I happened to fall in the draft. And, um, you know, I, I've embraced the role in terms of having fun with it when I got here with the guys and going on the trip and everything. Um, but at the end of the day, it's for me, it's like, man, I got an opportunity to come and play for the 49ers and compete, make the team and uh, do what it takes to you know push these guys in the locker room and, and win at all costs. So that's really where I've been with it. I don't hate the term or anything like that. So a couple of things. First of all, right mindset, you know, regardless of where he's picked, he wants to just come out and prove to first of all himself that he belongs at this level. Second of all, that trip that he keeps referencing is part of irrelevant week. So the, the, the name Mr. Irrelevant and then irrelevant week, it began in 1976 when former USC and, you know, NFL wide receiver Paul Salata founded the event He announced the final pick of each NFL draft until 2013. Since then, his daughter has has taken over announcing those final picks. But after each draft, the new Mr. Irrelevant and his family are invited to uh, to spend a week during the summer in Newport Beach. It includes a trip to Disneyland, a golf tournament, a regatta, and a roast, giving advice to the new draftee. Also, they are awarded with the Lozman Trophy, which is kind of you know, supposed to mimic the Heisman trophy, except on the trophy that, you know, the, the person, the Mr. Irrelevant is fumbling the football because, you know, he's, he's Mr. Irrelevant. Um, so I, I didn't know too much about irrelevant week and uh, you know, everything that comes with being a Mr. Irrelevant. Um, but it's kind of interesting, you know, the, the, I don't know, the experience that a Mr. Irrelevant has after they're drafted going out and, and spending all this time with former Mr. Irrelevants, kind of joking and, and poking fun at yourself the whole trip. And and now you have to come in and, and be a team starting quarterback. I don't know. It's it's an interesting, I don't know, mashup of, of kind of ideas because on, on one side you want to have fun with it, but on the other side you kind of want to start taking yourself seriously and, and trying to, to do some good in the NFL. Um, but, but Brock Purdy seems to be 
able to kind of split those two up. He's 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 understanding that some people like to have fun with the Mr. Irrelevant title, but but also knows that that was just a place that he was drafted. It doesn't define him or, or what his career might be. So uh, kind of kind of a fun story there from Brock Purdy. Yeah, I also have a message for Brock Purdy. Uh, that that hazing that you're referring to that you might be using as fuel, uh, it, it's not going to stop. So you're going to get more fuel the rest of this season. Look, it, this happens to every single athlete. And I, I don't know specifics about how football hazing is done. Uh, but, for example, Buster Posey, in his rookie season, of course, which ended in a World Series, his first full season with the Giants, uh, he was asked to wear a Goldilocks costume to the clubhouse. Like he was asked to dress up and basically, you know, embarrass himself in front of his teammates, in front of his coaching staff. Stephen Curry, there was a story about him as a rookie having a vet lock his phone in a locker before a trip to Oklahoma City. And Stephen Curry having to not only go out and get a new phone because he didn't realize that the vet had locked his phone back in Oakland, but also having then to do certain you know, tasks for this veteran, going to pick up uh, snacks, going to pick up, you know, movies, whatever this guy wanted, Stephen Curry was asked and complied with doing. So I do love that Brock Purdy is trying to use the Mr. Relevant title, the dinner, the hazing, all his fuel to become a better athlete. But I hate to break it to you, buddy. That is not going anywhere. And if you're Brock Purdy, uh, uh, you, you better get used to people trying to pick on you not only for just being a first-year player, but for being the last pick player of the draft. That is going to follow you wherever you go. So when hearing Purdy talk about that and the the trip he kept referencing, I knew there was, you know, some sort of event that Mr. Irrelevance had. I didn't know exactly the details. So I I researched it a little bit, and I found this, this really funny little nugget. So irrelevant week that whole trip out to you know newport beach and going to disneyland and all that it sounds stuff. like a fraternity it, it kind of does so it gave so much publicity to mr irrelevant that in 1979 the los angeles rams they had the second to last pick of the draft so just before mr irrelevant they intentionally passed to let the pittsburgh steelers pick ahead of them so the rams could have the final pick of the draft but the Steelers also wanted the publicity that comes with Mr. Irrelevant. And so they passed as well. And the two teams just continued passing and passing and passing and passing until the NFL commissioner at the time, Pete Rozelle, he forced the teams to pick. The Steelers won the pick. And that incident led to the Salada rule. He was the first Mr. Irrelevant, which prohibits teams from passing to get the final pick. I had no clue that that was a thing that even happened in the past, but this Mr. Irrelevant history is fraught with things like that. Imagine fighting almost as hard for the last pick as the first pick. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's like the draft lottery day. All right, boys, we got to get this thing ready. Number one picks coming up. You know, the the ping pong balls are going to the hopper and we're trying to, we're going to find out who's going to, who's going to be the card that's flipped up another one pick. All right, cool. That's all well and good. Hey boys, second prize consolation. Seven two sixty two Brock Purdy. We want him. We want him bad. Like that. That's that's what I'm taking away from this this initial this inaugural Mister Irrelevant competition. Yeah. So you there is a rule in the NFL against refusing to pick in in the final round to get the to get the last pick of the draft because there's too much publicity Evan around Mister Irrelevant. Well, there is a lot of publicity around Mister Irrelevant. There is also 
a lot of publicity around the quarterback who is coming in to Santa Clara slash San Francisco this weekend. He is a native of the peninsula. He is from San Mateo. His name is none other than Tom Brady. And it was kind of funny, Mark. Like, I we, I think we got a glimpse, as we have for a long time, and it, like, you're talking about, you know, the, the competitive fire that Brock Purdy is showing and wanted to show people up and make, you know, prove doubters wrong about him being irrelevant or not. Well, that that is Tom Brady, like in a in 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 a single like kind of definition, like the the competition he is almost like symbolized by. Um, but it was it was an interview I think from Cron this week where they went and interviewed Tom Brady Senior. They interviewed his dad, hmm. and they were asking him about you know what's it going to feel like for you know Tom to to come home and to enjoy. The San Francisco 49ers. I think Brady has played in San Francisco once in 2016. Uh, he for four touchdowns. But basically, his dad was saying, you know, let's like let, let, let's go ahead and pump the brakes on all the romance and bromance that's going to be coming with Tom returning to the Bay Area. Like he literally said something along the lines of, well, they had six chances to pick him and they didn't. So you know, our, my number one team is whatever team my son, a.k.a. Tom Brady, is playing for. Maybe a distant second. If I had to pick a second team, it would be the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> doesn't seem like, <laughs> number one, Tom Brady has forgotten that the Niners passed him up all the way back in 2000 and that his dad has still not forgiven the 49ers for not picking his son at some point in that draft. Well, do you remember, I think it was last summer. I, I can't remember exactly what show it was. I think it was, was it HBO's The Shop or or was it, it was it was something yeah, it was like on The that. Shop. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and, you know, Tom Brady was asked about kind of his decision to go and play with Tampa and, and maybe if there was other potential suitors. And there was a team that told him like, no, sorry, we're not interested. And and he obviously was personally offended and, you know, came out and said something along the lines of like, what the hell you're sticking with that guy, like whoever was your starting quarterback at the time. So I would not be shocked if Tom Brady and, and the entire Brady family didn't forgive the Niners and really any other team for that matter for passing on him, you know, what, five, six times in the NFL draft. Um because he, he's obviously not forgetting a, a, a couple of teams or a specific team for not being interested in him before he left the Patriots and, and went to the Buccaneers and ultimately won a Super Bowl in his first year there. It just seems like that's the nature of Tom Brady. As good as a quarterback as, as anyone has ever been, but also as competitive as anyone has ever been that's played the position. That's just who Brady is. Yeah, I believe the specific term he used was that mfer quote unquote <laughs> you want that mfer over me and of course that sent the football world into a tizzy right like who's he talking about oh, is, is he, he talking, talking about jimmy is he talking about jimmy i i think that from what i read like the consensus between most people is that he was talking about Derek carr and the oak and well formerly the oakland raiders now in las vegas uh boy are they in trouble all right so but 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 the point stands yes tom brady is an extremely competitive person and if the 49ers had had a chance which was rumored to be a chance to get tom brady after the 2019 super bowl then you could say at this point mark that they they clearly made the wrong decision i mean and that's that's kind of where i want to go next like how do you reevaluate that decision or non-decision when it comes to tom brady 
and potentially could have being uh, could have been a 49er. That's a really tough one because you have to rewind to that moment and think about where the Niners were at at that point. Uh, because 2019, Jimmy Garoppolo hadn't had his recent string of injuries yet. He's coming off of a fantastic season. Yes, that ended with disappointment. That ended with him not performing as well as he did in the regular season. He wasn't asked to do much in the first two playoff games, the wins over the Vikings and the Packers. And then, of course, he missed Emmanuel Sanders on the middle of the field in the fourth quarter of a Super Bowl. Everyone likes to point to that as the reason the Niners lost, but the defense also gave up three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, there is blame to go around for who was the reason the Niners lost that Super Bowl. Garoppolo, not as good as he could have been, for sure. But I think the 49ers were still pretty happy with Jimmy Garoppolo as their starting quarterback. However, the conversation that we've had a lot this year, Evan, is the Niners' window. And, and you know, how maybe it doesn't extend for that many years into the future because of the veterans that they have and, and the contract situations that they're dealing with. But you also have to remember what the conversation was around Tom Brady after that same season. Because that conversation was... You remember, he lost a, a home game in the playoffs against the Tennessee Titans, and he threw multiple interceptions, had a pick six to seal the game at the end. The conversation was, is this the end of Tom Brady? I, I know he wants to keep playing, but is he simply past the point of you know no return? Like, is he spiraling downward? That was the conversation. People easily forget that because he went on to win a Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And you can easily say, well, he's the greatest of all time. Those conversations were all dumb. And sure, they're proven to be now. But most people felt that way in the moment. Tom Brady, not not the quarterback you want to build around anymore because he is extremely old, as we know, and he's trending downward. He's proven us wrong phenomenally because he's not human and he's the greatest football player of all time. But that was the conversation at that moment. So I think it was a really tough situation for the 49ers, Evan. And I don't really blame them for the decision that they made because I can fully understand why they made it. It's just unfortunate because they were proven wrong. If Tom Brady is the Niners quarterback over the last few years, they probably won at least one Super Bowl and maybe are in line for another. Because the other thing about Tom Brady is he does not get hurt. And he's probably still the starting quarterback today if he is the Niners starter from the start of the season. So unfortunate, but I, I don't really blame the 49ers for the decision they made. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where I want to jump off to is look at the time, Tom Brady's 42 years old. Uh, now he did have a 12 and four season. I know the regular season, his numbers were, were sort of down, but looking at that team, I'm looking at his receivers I'm looking at Julian Edelman being really the only guy he has to throw to. His second leader receiver that season was James White. To me, where where things get tricky when it comes to the, I guess, revisionist history is, yes, Tom Brady's stock was heading down. Jimmy Garoppolo's stock was heading up. Even with the missed throw in the Super Bowl, it was, I believe, his, you know, his third official season his really his first full season and you go to a Super Bowl with him. That's hard to move off of any quarterback, 
even though I don't think people perceived him to be necessarily young at the time. But when it comes to health, even an elder Tom Brady has always been able to stay on the field. And I know we talked about how, you know, maybe it's unfair to place injury blame at the feet of Kyle Shanahan, but Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be associated with injuries for the rest of his career, however long that goes. And unfortunately, for the rest of his life, people will point at him and say, yeah, you're, you're an all right quarterback, but you got hurt all the time. That to me is why if there is a reason to look back and say, damn, we should have pulled the trigger, not only because you, you might have a Super Bowl, maybe even two at this point, if Tom Brady's your quarterback, but because you immediately get a guy that can stay on the field for 16 games and had already told you that he wanted to play till age 45. The difference was he wanted weapons around him, something that San Francisco had along with a dominant defense, but also needed a place in which he could extend his career. That That's, to me, the only reason to look back at it a little bit differently. Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, the injury history, I think, is the biggest red flag for the 49ers. And even after that 2019 season, after the 2020 Super Bowl, I think you still had some concerns. He had the torn ACL the previous year. Um, but it, it wasn't like that was the conversation at the forefront at that moment. But I can still understand. I mean, Tom Brady's in his 40s and had, what, one major injury to that point that cost him a season. But, but beyond that, not much. And it's not just, you know, luck at that point. It's, it's you know, a quarterback who's smart and avoids hits. If he sees a rush coming, he's not going to try to escape. He'll just go down and, and eat the seven-yard loss. Um, that's what happens when you've, you know, played football in the NFL for like 25 years. I mean, a, a stat that I, I found today in researching is uh, Brian Greasy, the San Francisco 49ers quarterback coach, and Tom Brady were teammates at the University of Michigan in college back in the late 90s. So that's that's how, how old Tom Brady is and how much of a veteran he is. He was teammates in college with the current 49ers quarterback coach. It's all you really need to know. No, that, that's a fact. Uh, this is the 415ers podcast. We appreciate you tuning in as always. Please download, rate, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you download your podcast. Evan Giddings and Mark Grandy with you. Well, while we're talking about how damn old Tom Brady is, uh, if we want to talk about Brian Greasy, if we want to talk about uh, you know Kyle Shanahan, I believe him and Brady are, are not too far apart as far as age. Uh, just look at the quarterbacks themselves. The one on the San Francisco side, Brock Purdy was five days old when Tom Brady played his final game at the University of Michigan. That is how freaking old Tom Brady is, um, which also now brings us to our next point about the game itself. Tom Brady this year behind kind of a, a makeshift off offensive line with a defense that is pretty good, but with a non-existent running game, he looks pretty old, Mark. Now, if you take a look at the numbers without sort of the context, He's had a pretty decent season. Um, he's had a very efficient season. He's thrown 16 touchdowns, three interceptions across 12 games for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But this is a Tampa Bay team, as we kind of take a look at our preview, that does not score points. Like they are 27th in points scored this year with the greatest quarterback of all time at the helm. Have you, have you, like, do you see, a, I guess, a, a discernible difference or is this just like, 
I kind of think it's father time just catching up finally with Tom, even though he could probably still play for another two or three seasons. This offensive unit for Tampa might be the most frustrating offensive unit in football. And I mean, obviously there are worse offensive units, but the the players that they have on offense at skill positions, you feel like they should be better. The issue for Tampa is their offensive line. They lost a lot. They lost a couple in free agency this offseason. Um, and then they've had a number of injuries. Most recently, Tristan Wirfs, their young left tackle, who is just a stud out of the University of Iowa. He's been out the last couple of weeks. That is a gigantic blow for Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, but you have an incredible receiver core. Chris Godwin, who's playing fantastic football lately. Mike Evans, who is one of the better receivers of this era. Um, I don't really care much about Julio Jones, but you have other complementary pieces at receiver. Leonard Fournette is certainly a quality running back. Rashad White seems like he set himself up for a good career. He's had a good rookie season. So you have all of those quality pieces on the offensive side. But because of the issues to the offensive line, maybe Leonard Fournette isn't playing as good as he should. This is a team that absolutely cannot run the football. Just simply cannot do it. Worst team in the NFL at rushing the ball about 73 yards per game on the ground. What that means is they're forced to throw early and often. It's not the worst thing when you have Tom Brady and their receivers, but when defenses know the pass is coming, it becomes more difficult. You mentioned Tom Brady's numbers in terms of passing yards and, you know, passing touchdowns. Not terrible. I mean, on offense, they throw for about 200 and 70, a little less than that yards per game, which is top 10, actually top five, fifth in the NFL. That's a good number, but those numbers are inflated because they throw the ball way more often than other teams do across the league. They are forced to because they simply cannot run the ball. So I don't think that this is as good of a passing offense as the numbers show, Evan, because the numbers are so inflated by volume. This is an offense that is incredibly frustrating to watch. And now they're going up against the best defense in the NFL. Evan, I think the Niners defense has a fantastic chance to really limit this Buccaneers offense because the Bucs can't run the ball. And if the Niners can play one dimensional, they relatively know what's coming. It's going to make it all that more difficult to, to go against them. So I think the Niners have a fantastic chance uh, to play fantastic defense once again. I think they do, but I think that hinges on the availability of Nick Bosa, who, as of Thursday, has not practiced uh, for the last two days. Now, the issue is a hamstring in which he reportedly tweaked on Sunday against Miami. But if we're looking at injuries um, on the Buccaneers side, they, like you mentioned, have a lot of guys out. Tristan Wirfs did not practice this week. He's dealing with an ankle and a knee. Uh, they're Formerly starting safety, Antoine Winfield Jr. did not practice this week either. Uh, and Mike Edwards, their other free safety, did not practice. They are pretty much dropping like flies on Tampa Bay's side on both sides of the football. Uh, for the 49ers, the other two injuries that were reported this week, Tarverius Moore is going to miss a few weeks with a knee. Uh, Hassan Ridgeway, who got injured against Miami, is dealing with a pectoral. He did not practice this week either. But, of course, the biggest name is Nick Bosa. Um I, I'm I'm very, very cautious, Mark. Like we talked about how, you know, th there's been some um, conversations surrounding Purdy and the injury at the quarterback position. And of course, we've dealt we've dove into that 
16 different ways. <laughs> but the matter of the fact is, if, if Nick Bosa is hurt, the 49ers' chances to win any football game drop precipitously. Like, they are in free fall. So I hope that he is able to play this week, and the fact that he's not practicing is simply to get him right or 100%. But if this is a game against Tampa in which you feel confident despite having a rookie quarterback making his first start in the NFL, if it comes down to, well, Nick Bosa's 75% and can give it a go, I'd, I'd rather not even risk it, Mark, because I, I still think that this Niners team, even without Bosa, has a pretty good chance to beat Tampa Bay. I mean, it's not fantastic, but Nick Bosa is the season right now. As much as any player left on this roster, Nick Bosa is the most important one left. We talked about an injury to the quarterback potentially derailing any Super Bowl chances for the 49ers. If Nick Bosa gets hurt and misses hypothetically the rest of the season, which I don't think he will do, then the playoffs are in jeopardy. That's how big I, of an impact I think Nick Bosa has. He does. And he, he was the November defensive player of the month across the NFL. He was fantastic. And then guess what? He followed it up in on the first game in December with the best game he's had this season. And he's the NFC defensive player of the week most recently. So he is playing his best football, not only of the season, but of his career right now. And he has an opportunity against a banged up defensive line. If he plays, of course, or offensive line, excuse me, if he plays, of course, to continue that upward traje trajectory, excuse me. So a hundred percent, you're right. That is probably the most important, you know, player on the injury report who still has a decent chance to play. I would be relatively surprised if he doesn't play Evan. This kind of smells to me kind of like Debo Samuel last week. I, I think I said on the pod, I would be surprised if Debo didn't play. It looked like he wasn't going to play. It didn't look good based on what the Niners were telling us, but he came out, he played and they fed him in the second half and he seemed fine. I think we kind of have a similar situation here, Evan. I think the Niners know, given uh, their quarterback injuries, given everything that they've been dealing with, they're going to need to rely on their stars from here on out. And they want to do as, as much as they possibly can to, to keep them healthy, to keep them ready. And, you know, they're going to need them to win games. So how do they maybe get them a little bit more rest than usual? Maybe you hold them out of of some practices here and there, you'd be extra cautious with them. If they've got even just a minor Nick on them in practice, when maybe they would normally get some practice reps through it, they'll take a chance, sit them out, let them rest up, let them get ready for the game because that is when the Niners need them. And I get, I kind of get the sense that's what's going on here with Dick Bosa. Of course, no one really knows besides the Niners and, and Kyle Shanahan. Um, but I would be a little surprised if he doesn't play in this game. Well, I hope you're right. I hope he does. Uh, and that leads us into our next portion of this preview episode would be the predictions. And Mark, I, I, I know that Tampa Bay has, look, they, they're coming off a big win on Monday. I know they have a short, shorter week of rest, uh, come from behind 17-16 win against New Orleans, their last week to get back to 500. I think it makes this game somewhat, you know, in, enticing, obviously with Tom Brady's return to San Francisco, would have been better if he had been able to face his former backup at Jimmy Garoppolo. Unfortunately, that will not be able to happen, and those two still have not played against each other as quarterbacks in a game. But the Niners are favored by 3.5 points. The total in this game is 37.5. Um, I am leaning Niners. I am also leaning. 
I know this may sound crazy with 37 and a half points on the board. <laughs> I, I think this is this is a lock. The under is a lock in this game because I don't see Tampa Bay scoring points against the San Francisco 49ers number one defense. And call me a non-believer, call me a skeptic. I I just I, I trust history in this case a little bit more. And that is rookie starting quarterbacks tend to struggle against good defenses, one, two, the blitz. And that is what Todd Bowles is going to bring against Brock Purdy until proven otherwise. Todd Bowles is is an aggressive. I know he's a head coach. He's not a defensive coordinator anymore, but he is extremely aggressive. And I think he'll be able to get after Brock Purdy enough against that offensive line up front for the 49ers to make him uncomfortable. I still do see the 49ers scoring enough to win this football game, Mark, but I think it's going to be something like 13 to six. I mean, mm. that that's, that's wow. going to be my prediction for this game. I think it's going to be very low scoring. It's going to be a rock fight at Levi's stadium, but the Niners do win and they do cover. Wow. 13 to six. That's easy. No sweat under if you, if you bet that and Evan's prediction comes Lock true. It up. <laughs> um, I'm relatively similar, you know, frame of mind. I do think the under hits, but it's very, very close. Listen, we all know about the Niners defense, uh, you know, the top defense in the league in terms of points allowed per game, total yards per game. They're the best rushing defense in the league. But let's dive a little deeper into some of these more unique numbers. First of all, the Niners have more interceptions than passing touchdowns allowed. 12 interceptions defensively, 11 passing touchdowns allowed. The Niners have held their opponents to 2.84 yards per play inside the 30-yard line. So once you get close to the end zone, the Niners' defense is better than anyone else in the NFL. That 2.84 number tops in the NFL. Niners, they hold their opponents to an average of 3.35 yards per rush. Best number in the NFL. The Niners have held their opponents to nine total points on possessions following a turnover. So after their offense gives the ball up their defense buckles down only nine total points allowed off of Niners turnovers this year the Niners have held their opponents to 26 red zone drives this season that is also the fewest in the NFL they've played 12 games it's a little more than two red zone drives per game 26 total this season And finally, the Niners defense has held opponents to 115 plays of 10 or more yards this year. That as well, the best number in the NFL. So it's not just the the, the popular categories that that the Niners are the best in. They are an incredible defense across the board, really in any metric, any way you slice it. They are fantastic. And I think they are the uh, main reason why the Niners get a win again this week. I'm going 20 to 17. 49ers come out on top. The under hits by half a point. Niners do not cover by half a point, but they get the win. And Evan, I'm predicting a defensive touchdown. Niners win 20 to 17. Well, usually that's around plus 400 for those of you <laughs> counting at home. So go go hammer that defensive touchdown. Uh, Mark Grandy's lock of the week as you could say. Yeah. Um, but that'll do it for this episode of the 415ers. We appreciate you tuning in as always. Mark, I'm looking forward to this matchup. I, I know that it may sound like I think it's going to be low scoring, but that does not mean it's going to be boring. I do think that Tom Brady potentially has some late game magic still left up his sleeve. I'm obviously he looking did on forward Monday. to seeing. He, he did on Monday. We'll see if he used it all up. 
Uh, I'm also looking forward, of course, to seeing Brock Purdy in his first start against a defense that I, I do think is pretty good despite missing some of those pieces. Um, so it's going to be a fun one. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. And uh, looking forward to hopping on uh, here with uh, with you for the next episode coming up on uh, Monday. No doubt. No doubt. We'll have a reaction on Monday, maybe even a little bit early, depending oh. on the result of this game. Look out for uh, a post on Sunday night, Monday morning. In the meantime, we appreciate you listening to the 415ers podcast, as always, on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. Go download, rate, and subscribe, and we will talk to you next time.